This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, you're with Lee Tree Lin, and tonight a discussion about using EPF savings as collateral for loans. So, first, we're going to talk about whether this is a good move and a helpful one, as well as what the side effects of it might be. And then, addressing both the increasing politicisation of this whole EPF conversation, as well as the mindset that the fund itself is not necessarily only for retirement anymore. So tell us, would you use your EPF as collateral? And what do you make of this plan? Call 7733-2900, tweet us at BFM Radio, and send a voice note or WhatsApp our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. It's 6.07. So to begin with, withdrawals to the EPF will still not be allowed. Um, And I I wanted to say this early on, partly because it is a continuing cry of sorts uh, and a battle cry on the political field. It's also becoming something that people on the ground are asking for. But there will, for at least right now, still not be any further withdrawals from the EPF. What we do have, though, is an announcement from the Prime Minister, Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim, that the government will allow the use of EPF savings as collateral for emergency loans. This was said during his winding up speech for the policy stage of Budget 2023. And this is aimed to assist contributors who have a sufficient amount in their EPF savings, but who were in desperate need of funds. He said that this would also allow flexibility for contributors in the informal sectors, including those who were self-employed and who had inconsistent income. So as you would expect, the the reactions to this have been have been mixed. Um, IITAM MP Datuk Sri Dr. Wee Kasyong said that this would leave borrowers in a worse financial state, arguing that it's going to encourage people to take up loans that would then increase household debt. Meanwhile, the Malaysian Trades Union Congress also do not agree with this. Its president, Effendi Abdul Ghani, said he was concerned that people who do end up using EPF as collateral will struggle to keep up with loan repayments um, and says that MTUC hopes that the government will reconsider it and present a more sustainable and people-friendly policy, saying that what that means is a policy that would get people out of debt rather than driving them into debt. He also suggested that it would be better for the government to channel more money to the EPF through investments and share profits with the people. So if we, I think it's also salient always to take a look at how the EPF is actually doing following on the previous withdrawal schemes, uh, Ailastari, Aisina and Aichitra, which had led to the outflow of 101 billion ringgit involving 6.1 million members. Uh, Right now, 51.5% or 6.67 million EPF members under the age of 55 have savings below the 10,000 ringgit mark, um, while median savings for the B40 fell 70% to 577 ringgit as of December 2022. And If you think once more about what the EPF is supposed to be, which is a retirement fund, something that will see you through for something like 20 years, then consider that amount, right? 
savings below 10,000 ringgit. Median savings for B40 um, fell to 577. Those are pretty dire numbers. Um, the EPF themselves consider 240,000 ringgit as adequate or minimum requirement for retirement. Although, again, where we're talking about, whether we're discussing uh, retiring in an urban setting as opposed to somewhere else, all of these things need to factor in. So, this is where this is the landscape that this suggestion is coming into. Again, we're talking about the government allowing the use of EPF savings as collateral for emergency loans. We're going to start off the show by talking about the plan itself, what it's going to look like, who it's going to help. Later on, though, we're going to expand the conversation into the mindset that seems to be now somewhat pervasive, this idea that the EPF isn't just meant for retirement, that instead it's something that could and should be accessed earlier because it's, quote-unquote, your own money. So that's the conversation for this evening. We'd like to hear from you. Would you use your EPF as collateral? Um, what do you make of this plan? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp. 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we're, jo- we're going to be joined by Associate Professor Dr. Ahmed Razman Abdul Latif, uh, who's the MBA Program Director of Butra Business School. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Breaking Financial Matters, BFM 89.9. It's 6.12 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn. We're talking today about the government announcing that uh, they will allow the use of EPF savings as collateral for emergency loans, only accessible, um, they've said for now, for contributors who have enough in the fund, uh, but who are nevertheless in desperate need of money. So we're asking you, uh, would you use your EPF as collateral? And what do you make of this plan overall? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now is Associate Professor Dr. Ahmed Razman Abdul Latif, MBA Program Director of Putra Business School. Dr. Razman, thanks for being with us today. You're welcome, Lynn. Yes. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Firstly, can you talk us through what it would actually mean to put up one's EPF savings as collateral? Firstly, it means that when we apply for a loan from the bank, the chances of getting approved will be higher if we can put our EPF contribution as collateral. However, if we defaulted on that loan, we might be declared as a bankrupt if the loan is higher than 100,000 ringgit. And we're also going to lose that portion of our EPF contribution uh, since it's going to be defaulted, meaning that could be uh, less money for our retirement. And what would this look like uh, in terms of actual execution? What would need to happen? First of all, um, the EPF Act 1991 had to be uh, amended by the parliament, especially on the section 51.1, uh, uh, where the contribution and uh, deposit of uh, the contributor need to be allowed uh, to be assigned uh, to with respect to any debt or claim uh, whatsoever by a third party. At the moment, the contribution money cannot uh, be given to external party due to debt or claim. Uh, so if that happened, again, uh, EPF also probably need to make sure that the contribution uh, that being used as a collateral cannot be used for investment because it can be uh, retracted or claimed by other party anytime. 
and this might also reduce uh, possibility of expanding or diversifying EPF investment, which eventually could also affect its rate of return on their investment. So that's actually what need to be done on EPF uh, side. So to put it simply, um, I realise I, I need to just ask you this. Where do you stand on the matter? Do you think it's a good idea? I always prefer that the people should be helped using uh, government's money or government funding rather than keep asking uh, ourselves to, to use the EPF uh, money as a um, assistant or as a collateral because we must remember the purpose of such contribution is for our retirement. And EPF, as the body responsible for this, should also focus on increasing, uh, giving a higher return on the investment of such contribution and not uh, had to deal with all this uh, kind of collateral guarantee because we tend to lose focus, tend to um, address short-term need of the people rather than sticking to the long-term uh, intention of uh, contribution. So I would always prefer look into other alternative that doesn't involve our own money. Um, and, and I'm sure there are many other alternatives uh, that can fulfill the need of the people rather than uh, using their contribution as collateral. Mm. So the, the Prime Minister has said that this facility will only be available for those who are in desperate need of money. In what situations uh, could something like this be, be justifiable? I mean, acknowledging that it's not the best option. Yeah, but those who are in desperate need of money are also those who do not have much saving in EPF. Uh, majority of the contributors actually less have less than 10,000 ringgit. And which bank will willing to will be willing to to accept a collateral that is less than ten thousand ringgit. So um, when when I look into this, perhaps the only one eligible for such collateral are uh, in a two T twenty bracket, which actually do not need to borrow in the first hand. So I cannot see how this actually going to help those who are in desperate need of money. Mm. And. and- I guess uh, extending on from that, it's likely to only benefit a very small percentage of people, right? Yes, agree. Mm. Uh, we have a question from Michael who says, um, I have a question for, for the prof. How is it different from a withdrawal in a default? Uh, would it be worse because of interest? Well, again, um, both actually are not a good option for the people, eh? uh, meaning if uh, we are withdrawing the contribution, for any reason, uh, how we are going to ensure that our retirement saving will be enough um, for, for 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 taking care of our old age? Because uh, when we retire at fifty five, average age of Malaysian is about seventy five. That's twenty years in retirement. And again, um, there is a high uh, probability that. We what we would de- default in our uh, loan if we do not know uh, the 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 right way to to manage the the money, especially if we do not have uh, good financial uh, literacy or financial management. So um, the discussion whether we should withdraw, whether we should use it as collateral, shouldn't be uh, discussed in the first place. Actually, because um, like I said, uh, we do have other alternatives that can be explored 
and not necessarily have to use uh, government money, not to have to use uh, people's money, but also through the uh, collaboration and um, uh, assistance by various parties, uh, um, including the private sector and the community. Talk to us a little bit more about those alternatives because I think sometimes, especially because the EPF is is repeatedly a conversation point, it can be hard to to think about or talk about those alternatives though they exist. Yeah, because uh, EPF seems to be the easiest way. Huh? Uh, the money is there. All they need to do is just apply and they get the money. But the implication is actually uh, going to be uh, very uh, critical because when we look into our status as a nation, we are aging nation. We are going to become age nation by 2030. So there will be more uh, elderly uh, in the near future. And this is going to increase uh, the cost of uh, taking care of our uh, elderly population for, for the government. In, in fact, the hospitalization cost, uh, the, the, the social benefit, uh, social cost will, will be increasing uh, for, for tremendously in the future. So when the when the people do not have enough money for retirement, then uh, the government uh, will have to bear the cost for them. So so we're talking about other alternatives. Uh, even though it will not be as easy as APF, but it could be the more it could be more effective or efficient uh, than uh, taking money out from APF. For example, when people say they want to withdraw money for the purpose of setting up businesses. Uh, there are many agencies, uh, entrepreneurial agencies that can provide that, um, like the um, uh, National, Traju, um, PUMB, and also Amanah Itia Malaysia, who also uh, supported uh, such uh, distribution of fund or financing through uh, coaching, mentoring, and um, uh, assistance in terms of infrastructure and products. And when we're talking about the need to restructure uh, monthly debt commitment. Uh, so we have banks that can help uh, in restructuring the financial commitment as well as AKPK. And if they really need it for their day-to-day uh, expenses, so maybe they can have, get assistance from uh, Zakat or other uh, charity, uh, NGO, or even uh, a welfare department. So um, all this assistance, all these um, uh, opportunities are already there. Perhaps what we need to focus now is to make sure the people are clear uh, or uh, understood where to look for such assistance, and uh, and know then and the process of uh, getting such assistance is simplified. And would you say right now that it is sufficiently simple? Is there is there a, a widely is there a wide understanding about how it is to access these alternatives at the moment? Um, I think that's the critical issue that need to be addressed here because we have many agencies, many ministries, many departments who have all this uh, assistance and they are probably not uh, integrated or network or link uh, well enough to ensure that everyone will get uh, the assistance that they need. So there has been an issue uh, recently that, uh, that the minister has been talking about how come a certain individual managed to get a multiple assistance where whereas uh, other didn't get at all uh, the, the, the assistance that they need. So the, the, the kind of coordination is needed actually to, to ensure that uh, we can uh, efficiently distribute all this assistance to the, the needful. 
perhaps uh, a creation of one a single uh, platform that allow uh, the population to access it and to uh, cater to 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 have the need to be catered uh, should be should be thing uh, should be uh, should be talked about by the by the ministers we used to have like for example uh, an app uh, my sejahtera maybe the function of such app uh, can be used as a portal uh, and perhaps uh, with the use of technology we have ai we have chat gpt now imagine uh, the uh, the individual just need uh, to type uh, the kind of request that they need that they have that they need and that kind of request can be processed uh, by ai and directing them to the right agency so that could be a possibility so you mentioned earlier that the move would require an amendment to the EPF Act, which currently doesn't allow the use of contributions as collateral, but the Prime Minister has said otherwise. Uh, could you perhaps clarify or tell us more about this? Because uh, there has been uh, some slightly conf- conflicting uh, um, announcement. Um, the Prime Minister said collateral, but EPF uh, released a statement saying it's a support. So if it's a support, then probably they do not need to... Uh, amend their uh, act and uh, perhaps uh, they can immediately um, allow uh, the the member to to use it as some form of support but not cultural but i do not know whether the bank can accept uh, this uh, co- uh, contribution as a support rather than collateral because mm. the information the details about it is still not clear uh, perhaps uh, uh, once uh, both parties from from the government from the epf uh, release uh, more information about this Maybe yeah, we can we can really understand what they actually mean, yeah, but whether it's a collateral or support. And in closing, is there a message you'd like to leave us with on the subject of particularly the EPF and and how we're currently talking about it? I hope we can put this issue to rest. Meaning that what the government should do now is to start highlighting all other uh, alternative to help rakyat I, um, and perhaps introduce uh, a new mechanism such as a benevolent loan or something known as a Cardo Hassan where uh, uh, the, the people get assistance of, uh, for example, ringgit, and they just need to pay 10,000 ringgit but there's an element of hibah there, uh, a gift uh, function to allow them to, to pay more if they want to. And this uh, system has been proven successful in uh, Pakistan, in Indonesia. So we need to go back to the root, to the origin. There are many forms of assistance. We have yet to fully explore the potential of wakaf. You know, we have zakat and sadaqah, but uh, the wakaf function has yet to be fully explored. And also this Kadu Hassan alone, uh, I'm sure uh, with Kerajaan uh, Madani that we're talking about, uh, this kind of brave endeavor to promote a real uh, alternative uh, to to Islamic uh, financing will be much welcome uh, by our Prime Minister. And I hope uh, they will uh, do this uh, rather than simply keep talking about uh, EPF and thinking of ways to use uh, this uh, contribution money, which is actually very important for the retirement uh, of, uh, of, uh, of the contributors. Dr. Razman, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. That was Associate Professor Dr. Ahmed Razman Abdul Latif, MBA Program Director at Putra Business School, discussing the the 
The fact that the Prime Minister has announced that the government will allow the use of EPF savings as collateral for emergency loans, this has received some pushback. So that's what we're talking about today and asking you whether this is something that you would consider doing. Uh, what do you make of this plan? Good idea? Not so good? You can let us know. Call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet at BFM Radio. So... Um, to the messages, lots already coming in, mostly not in favour, I would say. Um, so, for example, Clayton says, the use of EPF as collateral to get loans means that any default uh, or non-payment will result in EPF being used to repay that loan. It's worse than the one-off withdrawals. Emergency loans used means there's a higher chance of default uh, and that equates to losing more of your EPF savings. And Clayton, I think that this is the... The exact worry, especially because we are talking about people who are already in straits that are dire enough to to want to do this. So it's a difficult, I, I don't know, it's kind of a difficult thing to imagine working out smoothly, I feel. Uh, Melvin says, it's a harebrained idea. Don't allow it. I feel certainly the guys at the Treasury could come up with better suggestions and advise the PM. I mean, we'll see. At the moment, uh, as we heard the prof say, it's kind of at the the beginning stages. It's not exactly, it's not exactly fully fleshed out yet. How exact? How it's going to take shape? What the steps are? What it's going to look like? So there you go. Um, meanwhile, we also have. Um, Let's see, other points coming in, including this from Fazli, who says, I'm wondering if the people who want their EPF money now are also the same people who can't afford to be in further debt if they use it as collateral. More to the point, the EPF is meant for retirement, not bailout money. Technically, the government's money is the people's money anyway, so the government should figure out how to allocate that money to help the people instead of using EPF as a scapegoat, which very much echoes uh, what we heard from our guest earlier. Keep those thoughts coming. Would you use your EPF as collateral? And what do you make of this plan? Call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. Be financially minded. BFM. 89.9. It's 6.38 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn. And today it's a spicy one. The question of EPF as collateral. Now, just as a brief recap, the Prime Minister has said that the government will allow the use of EPF savings as collateral for emergency loans. Having said that, there are a few qualifying factors or, or contextual things that need to be taken into account because this collateral agreement is supposed to assist contributors who have enough in their savings, although what that means is unclear, but who are nevertheless in desperate need of funds. And I think those two things do seem to contrast one another. Uh, we, it's also worth pointing out the pretty frightening numbers that we are already aware of, which is that 6.67 million EPF members under the age of 55 have savings below the 10k mark, um, while for the B40, the median savings uh, live at the 577 mark. So when we talk about having enough money even to have as a collateral for a loan, I think it just gets a little bit complicated. But we've been asking you, what do you make of this plan? And is this something that you would consider? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. So to start things off, we do have a voice note that came in. This is from Raj. I think the um, commercial bank should not be involved because the commercial banks are where you know you have very um, 
dangerous clauses that can get people into trouble, especially if they are defaulters. I think what will be more viable and better for the people, you know, to help them is where the government gives an interest-free loan, but then if there's a default, then the EPF uh, amount is, um, you know, put in as a collateral. And, you know, it, it, so it's almost like you're taking your own money, but you're trying to save that money and having an overdraft from the government and then, you know, at interest free and hoping that, you know, you pay on time in installment. That will be better instead of going into the terms and conditions of bank, which at the end of the day is always favorable to them. So those are my thoughts. Actually, another option is the banks, they make a lot of money, right? Every year, even during COVID, they report billions of dollars of profit so why not they come up with something like a pinjaman uh, rahma just like the menu rahma concept but only for the b40 and uh, can use the epf as collateral but it must be interest free and you know and and give them uh, some support as well so you know we don't want to make the the those that are marginalized even uh, affected even more or become more poorer but we want to help them out and I think banks should really, really do that, you know, and uh, help out uh, if the government doesn't, don't have the capabilities to uh, give that kind of interest-free loan. Raj, thanks so much for that. I, I love the focus in your voice note on interest-free because the point about interest and the worry, actually, I should call it what it is, the very deep concern that people have over the subject of interest when it comes to these loans is coming through in a number of messages. And so if you have interest-free loans, that takes away, I think, a fair amount, a decent amount of the burden that exists here. And the suggestion of Pinjaman Rahma is a really nice one. I mean, at the moment, we've seen the Payung Rahma initiative kind of branch out in different ways. And this could be this could be another, this could be a different way of considering it. Meanwhile, we have other perspectives. Um, let's see, Joshua saying, okay, Anyhow, all parties, especially the opposition, should stop campaigning for the withdrawal or use of monies in the Rakyat's EPF accounts. These are for retirement. And, you know, Joshua, this is something that I'm glad you're bringing up. It's something that we're going to be talking about later with a financial planner, the, the issue of the mindset, because... At the moment, the campaigning is is pretty loud, I think. It's loud, it's sustained, it's been going on for some time. And that has resulted, I feel, in a very deep normalisation of this idea that the EPF is and should be and perhaps always should have been accessible. And I, I don't know, the, the numbers within the fund and the fact that we're talking about people retiring and retiring with not enough, I, I don't know, I find it very frightening. We also have, though, people who are for it, but with some caveats. So Anonymous says, allow collateral loans for those aged 30 and above because they're matured enough to be responsible. Limit the amount allowed for collateral with bank interest and government imposed interest rates to the bank. This way, people will not be burdened by high interest set uh, by high interest rates. And that again echoes what Raj was saying to a degree, uh, the issue of interest rates. I think though that if we're talking about the... If we're talking about an age limit, again, it's a little bit unclear at the moment what the government intends when they say this will only be accessible to those who already have enough in their account, uh, who have sufficient monies in their account. I, they haven't made it clear yet what that mark is going to be, what is considered sufficient. Uh, similarly, we have a message that came in. 
I believe it was from Nicholas who was making some broad points but also asking what do you mean as emergency loans? So Nicholas, I don't know. Um, we, we need to ask the government that. They have not clarified it. That's just the term that they used. How they're defining it is is as yet unclear to me. But Nicholas also said um, banks will always want a certain profit for the loan that they give, hence interest. If you lose, if you do use it as collateral, then what? You think loan 10k, you pay 10k? Or will they charge interest and such? What about those who can't pay? Will they just deduct the same 10k or 10k plus interest charges and so on? Um, if the answer is yes, then taking directly from account will be a way better option than using it as collateral. That's that's an interesting point. At the moment, the conversation does not seem to be focusing on being able to just deduct it directly. It is still stuck in the collateral, serving as collateral stage. So yes, that's where we're currently at. Let us know what you think. We're talking today about the government allowing the use of EPF savings as collateral for emergency loans and asking you whether, well, what do you make of this plan overall and whether it's something that you would do or feel the need to do. You can call if you'd like to weigh in, double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Busy finding money. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. It is 6.48 and that was Sly and the Family Stone with Everyday People. You're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and today we're talking about EPF, uh, EPF savings being used as collateral for emergency loans. This is something that the government has said they will allow. Uh, it was part of the Prime Minister's winding up speech for the policy stage of the budget and uh that's that's where it sits at the moment. So we've been asking you, where, what do you make of the plan? Are you for it, against it? Is this something you would consider doing? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. So um, we have, well, actually, let's start with a question from Nick who says, didn't the PM mention in Parliament that it's for those that have 590k to a mil in EPF account one and have debts to pay? Um, Nick, I'm not certain. So I was looking it up and I didn't necessarily find specific criteria uh, that specific criteria. What I did find were examples that the Prime Minister mentioned, um, saying that he's heard of people who have, for example, a million in EPF, but then are currently unable to pay for their children's education because of, well, just a lack of funds. And therefore, cases like these need to be considered. I'm not certain, though, if that meant that he was using it as a criteria, but we'll continue to look it up. And thanks so much for um, mentioning this clarification. Meanwhile, we have people who are just not for it, not for it entirely. TH says, it's a big no-no. Any attempt to allow the use of EPF for reasons other than retirement and some existing usage is an admission that the government has failed to manage it properly. They should educate people to be out of debt rather than in debt. Good financial management should be based on ability. There are already people taking advantage of the withdrawal withdrawals to buy gold, mobile phones, and these defeat the purpose of having the fun. The government should not allow one to forego retirement needs, and they eventually will surely pose another problem for those people who mismanaged finances and ultimately have to depend on government aid to live out retirement. I'm puzzled by how this policy can be approved. It's a populist policy instead of a rational one. TH, I think those are interesting points. Uh, I, I think the 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 part of it that intrigues me at least in terms of your point about the the policy making and how it reads is that yeah i mean it is a populist policy but it's also not 
purely populist in the sense that it will not really please the people who are calling for withdrawals anyway because it's it, it doesn't meet the same criteria. So it's kind of a curious thing because it it hits certain points, but it doesn't necessarily address the the key thing that people are asking for. Uh, similarly, Anonymous says, what if it's allowed this year? Will we have the same conversation next year? The government has allowed this before and it will happen again if we don't put a stop to it. And Anonymous, that's exactly what um, we will be talking about later on. But it is something that I'm increasingly concerned about or, or seeing, which is that we're stuck in a loop of having this conversation. And like I said earlier, a, a normalization of something that I'm not, I'm not certain we're ready for. Uh, another anonymous listener says, I wouldn't touch my EPF to go into business. In fact, if I have to scratch the bottom of my barrel, I would seriously considering shifting my sights to becoming an employee instead of throwing good money after bad. Then again, a lot of us would feel malu coming down the economic rung. It won't be easy to change, but when the horse is dead, get down and walk. On another note, I strongly suspect that this is just a response to the constant harping by those uh, saying that EPF which calling for EPF withdrawals while sending another wake-up call that we may be digging a deeper grave for ourselves if we insist on further withdrawals. And yes, uh, Anonymous, thank you for that. That is speaking exactly to my point earlier with TH about, yeah, it's a populist move, but it's also a populist and responsive move that doesn't exactly meet the people who are calling for it exactly where they want to be. Uh, Some other points coming through. Let's see. Um, Jolyn responding to a suggestion that was raised by Raj earlier. I love the Pinjaman Rahma concept uh, and that focused on the idea that banks could perhaps roll out uh, interest-free loans for the B40. So Jolyn goes on to say, in order to foster repayment discipline, perhaps interest should still be charged, but at a nominal rate that's break-even for the banks, which um, I I like that. I think that that's a, a suggestion that speaks to the realities of what we currently see while also being sensitive to how to the needs people might have. Um, Dinesh says, so I think um, that actually using EPF as a collateral for emergency loans is a fairly good idea. Sadly, the notion of what represents an emergency among Malaysians are twisted. The loans need to be targeted, not to just temporarily help people, but to improve their current status in life. For example, loans to obtain professional qualifications, start a micro SME and so on. So this is the question, right? Who's going to determine the, the emergency? Because, again, if we look at the example that the Prime Minister made, it was about paying for children's education, being able to pay for a child who is currently studying overseas. And that's, that, you know, um, I, I don't know whether we are going to see a very strict version of guidelines from the government on this constitutes an emergency or whether it's going to be self-declared and and that's just how it's going to work. So yeah, a lot of questions remaining at this moment in time, but we are also continuing to ask you for your thoughts. What do you make of this plan uh, for the government to use EPF savings as... um, the government allowing, sorry, the use of EPF savings as collateral for emergency loans? Is this something that you would consider doing 
That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. That number to send a voice note is zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. And tweet us at BFM Radio, um, BFM eighty nine point nine. It is seven oh eight, and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn. And before we get to our next guest, uh, just a quick wind up on some of the messages that we've been getting this evening on the subject of being able to use your EPF savings as loan collateral. Uh, Just a quick heads up though that our next guest, uh, we're going to be speaking about it from the perspective of financial planning. So if you have questions that you'd like to ask, actually now is a good time to send them through. You can call 7733-2900. You can send a voice note as well um, or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet at BFM Radio. So if we look at the messages, uh, we've got people talking about options. Um, so Mizi says, interest-free interest, interest free loans sounds like a job for co- cooperatives. Uh, whatever happened to this type of setup? They used to be around in the early 80s. Meanwhile, James says, uh, can we do like a P2P lending platform with very low interest, a safe space where the B40 community can get microfinancing, while those who are more fortunate can give out loans as goodwill and as social responsibility? Of course, the necessary checks will still need to be done. James, Thank you for that suggestion. I think it's a very, very nice one. It's very interesting. I don't know. Um, I, I, I've been quite struck by the fact that the one of the themes throughout the messages and the voice notes that we've been getting this evening have been focused on a call for the government to consider this further and a call for the government to think properly or to, to kind of brainstorm a little bit more about how it is we can address these problems. And we've been getting a few suggestions, uh, such as what's being discussed now, right? The idea of interest-free loans, but also this P2P lending platform, which just sounds, uh, you know, like, like one that could really work. We also have... Um, I think actually in relation to this a voice note that came in from Vicky on the issue of interest free loans if I'm not mistaken uh, micro uh, enterprises uh, businesses can have interest free loans uh, a small amounts of course and so uh, for the B40, if they really need that money uh, for businesses, then yeah, they can get it interest-free from the government. Vicky, thank you so much for that mention. Um, I think this was a an initiative that initially began under a previous administration. Hopefully it's still continuing. But this goes back to a point that was raised by our very first guest earlier, Dr. Uh, Dr. Ahmad Razman Abdul Latif, because he said that there are actually existing avenues. The problem is a lack of centralization and therefore a lack of widespread knowledge and access surrounding it. So thank you for highlighting that. And I think that there are others. It's just that right now, if you are in, in desperate times, whether it's easy for you to access is another question. So... Keep those thoughts coming. We're asking whether you would use your EPF as collateral. Uh, What do you make of this plan? But also, if you have questions that you'd like to ask from the perspective of financial planning, now's a good time. Uh, You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. 
After this, we're going to be joined by Idham Idris, Director of Corporate Treasury Investment Services for Wealth Vantage Advisory. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Busy following money trail, BFM 89.9. It is 7.12 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn. And today we are talking about using, being allowed rather to use your EPF savings as collateral for loans. This is something the government has said that they're going to allow. And we've been asking you what you make of it. Uh, you can call 7733-2900, send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. We are closing off today's discussion though by looking at what this means in terms of one's financial planning, uh, financial literacy, but also trying to address the mindset of the EPF being something that is accessible before the age of 55. So jo- joining us to do that is Idam Idris, Director of Corporate Treasury Investment Services for Wealth Vantage Advisory. Idam, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. So to start us off, do you think that there has been a, a significant change in terms of how people think about or view their EPF savings since the pandemic and since withdrawals were first permitted? Yeah, so so I think we need to uh, just go back and remind ourselves what's the EPF mandate. Yeah, is to help uh, employees save for their retirement and to ensure that they have adequate funds to support their post-retirement life. So they achieve this mandate by operating as a mandatory saving scheme. Now, currently, as when uh, people are permitted to withdraw their EPF for uh, any reason, because to be to be fair, uh, when the pandemic happened in MCO, when people were allowed to withdraw, not everybody who withdraw had a actual good reason to withdraw their money, right? So, so right now, people are viewing EPF as sort of their personal piggy bank, mm-hmm. which can be used at any time for any reason, rather than its original purpose, which is to serve as that mandatory retirement savings scheme. So what do you make then of the fact that we're continuing to see these calls for the government to permit withdrawals or at the very least to make those funds accessible in some way? So I I think there's two issues at play. Uh, uh, Number one, the inflation or the rising cost of living. And within certain groups, you cannot deny the fact it's a matter of survival, right? So if we can relate to something like uh, the, uh, a theory in psychology, which is called the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's five levels of needs that a person must have in order to feel fulfilled, right? So the, the, the bottom two needs is physiological, and the next one is called safety. So physiological is is uh, covers the basic needs like food, water, shelter. If you fulfill this, you at least cover the, the very, very basic needs of every human being on this planet. But the next step up is called safety. And this, and this second level is where I think a lot of people are feeling that these needs are not being met. So what's safety? We're talking about feeling uh, they are in a secure and stable living environment, uh, that they have financial security and stability, that they have a sense of, say, predictability and control over their lives, and perhaps also being fear and anxious of what's going on. So, so until these individuals uh, or a person's safety needs are being met, they cannot progress higher into the higher levels of the hierarchy. So, so it means that 
I think that a lot of people are in this quarter. They're, they're feeling something. They're feeling uncomfortable. They're feeling anxious. They're feeling stressed. They're feeling like their, uh, their lives are going out of control. And this, and perhaps in a, in a way that they, they feel like, you know, uh, money will solve everything. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, uh, and the easy way because sort of like the Pandora's box has been opened. Uh, they feel like, yeah, let's just go back to the EPF and withdraw more money. So the question of whether we can put the genie back in the bottle is one that's really come up. How do you think this can be addressed, considering that there are some segments of society who firmly believe, really firmly believe, that they should be able to access their EPF funds because it's their money? So the the problem is using the EPF fund is is just to eliminate or reduce the symptoms, right? But not the root cause. So what is the root cause? This, I think this is the issue that uh, you know, the government is looking into. And I think a lot of NGOs and you know, people are, are coming in to, to give their, their, their opinions. Because I think there needs to be a, a more holistic way of solving the root cause of the issue. Yeah. Uh, so which needs to be looking at a, a lot of other, other things like the household debt problems, you know, the issue of uh, financial literacy and financial education. There's also the issue of employment and wages in certain sectors and groups, you know, as well as the inflationary cost of living. So it's not just one thing. There's there's a lot of things that is happening at the moment that that needs attention and needs, you know, everybody to 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 come in uh, and and find a solution to solve all this. So if we get down to what we're talking about today. Um on the subject of using your EPF savings as collateral for loans, from a financial planning perspective, is this a good idea? So I, I don't want to talk about just using the EPF. So it's just a matter of the, the, the decision of taking up a loan, right? So from a financial planning perspective, what is the purpose for taking up the loan in the first place? So regardless whether it's a collateralized or uncollateralized loan, so because as you know, when you go into debt, there is a concept of good debt and bad debt, right? So good debts are pretty much debts that allows you to improve your financial situation in the long run. But bad debts have a negative impact on your long-term financial stability. So the concern is that if you are taking up a loan and it's for the wrong purpose, then it will still have a negative impact long-term. So, you know, what is the reason of taking up the loan in, in, in the first place? Is it, is, it, is it for a good purpose or is it something that is just to, you know, paper the cracks or, um, you know, trying to solve a short-term financial mistake, for example? So that's the, the concern, actually. We have a WhatsApp from Jin Hui who is, is just kind of putting forward an observation who says, currently loan sharks and credit companies are offering loans to EPF members aged 53 and 54 with an interest rate of 1.5% per month. These offers are widely advertised on Facebook. Um, maybe it would be good to allow those said above said EPF members to withdraw some of their monies rather than exposing them to high interest rates or even scams um, with a note that repayment should be done upon the age of 55 when EPF release members' monies. And I wanted to ask you about this partly because it's a very interesting point, but also because this is something that, that I've heard of and also that people receive phone calls for that matter when they're approaching the age of 55 about this exact thing. Right. So again, it just comes back to the same reason. Why do you need the loan in the first place? Right. So, so whether, 
is it is it for really genuine purpose to to solve uh, something that is urgent, or is it something that you know that can be uh, uh, can be without? For example, like you don't actually need it, but because there's a facility, because there's a there's a potential way for you to get that money, then you go ahead and say yes, okay, why not, right? So, so this is the issue that uh, you know, as a as a financial planner, you know, we meet people every day uh, uh, talking about their cash flow, talking about that uh, situation. So it's always a struggle between the decision of the wants and the needs. Right. So, is it a want or is it a need? If it's truly a need, then that might be the solution, right? But if it's a want and you're just like, oh, okay, never mind. I just want to withdraw because this this want that I want in the short term. Then that's a truly terrible idea. So this is the 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 issue of 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 making the right decisions uh, financially when when you're taking out a loan. So for people who do find themselves in desperate times, but nonetheless continue to need to service their loans, what advice do you have? How can this be managed? Well, um, I I know many people uh, have heard that you need to go to AKPK, right, Uh, to to assist you in this matter. So the, the whole point is that you can initiate a debt relief plan with your lender. So whether it's your bank or, you know, uh, the credit company to restructure or reschedule the loan, similar to what happened during the loan uh, moratorium period in MCO. So you have to propose and negotiate with the lender installments that suit your current capacity. And, and of course, they might reject. And, you know, but you need to come back and say, look, I'm, I have an intention to pay off the loan, but I mean, I'm in a kind of a, a serious problem at the moment. Uh, and, and go back because at the end of the day, lenders do want to, to, to get back their money. And so I think people need to be open into negotiating and rather, you know, trying to uh, sweep the problem under the carpet. I, that's the first thing that everyone must do. And do those options change? Um, or, or I suppose, where, what's the nuance if you have less access to funds or income, uh, specifically if you're a member of the B60? Yeah, so, you know, it's easy to say earn more, right? But the reality is things are happening very fast right now for every member of society. So granted, some are able to weather it better than others. So maybe in this current scenario, it's important to look into like pooling resources and see whether working together to survive might be better. You know, for example, like something as simple as sharing dinners together with neighbors uh, and supporting each other in any way possible. I think it's important for us to open our eyes, you know, people who are maybe in a more fortunate situation uh, to offer help and assistance to our fellow Malaysians. So this is something that you brought up earlier. Um, It does feel like we're always talking about financial literacy and how to encourage that even more. But I I think, you know, before we talk about how to make that happen, is, is this really a fair conversation to have when we're also facing the pressure of low stagnating wages as well as a weak ringgit? How do we balance those things out? On a personal level, we can only work with the limited resources that we have, right? So we have our salary or income coming in every month. And that's pretty much it. You know, uh, other people might have savings, uh, investments, uh, properties, assets, things like that. I think it's fair to ask that, you know, given the resources, the limited resources that we have, are we doing the best that we possibly can 
in managing it. You know, so so <laughs> our new prime minister uh, pledged to overcome waste and leakages in government spending. Shouldn't we be doing the same? So so I think it's important, like to every everyone, to just like uh, sit down and take a look the income, the salary that that's coming in on every month. Are you doing your best in terms of? Uh, of of managing that money and and see whether there's any other way that you can do better and and help you uh, uncover maybe some wastages and leakages. We have another WhatsApp from Adi who says, why can't we quickly introduce financial literacy at a young age and into the school syllabus? This is a no-brainer. Would you support this? Definitely. I mean, to be fair, I think the government is already doing this in bits and pieces. I, I I've seen my kids' homework. Right, and and there are like really difficult uh, financial questions. If if if, if uh, no, some people might not realize uh, at, at 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 every level at standard five at form three form four, um, where they ask like how to calculate like uh, interest on credit card and things like that. So I think there's there's some elements of it there, right? Uh, and and I think recently also we uh, we got we had a chance to do a roundtable discussion with um, the KBS, the Kementerian uh, Belia and Sukan on on the issue of financial literacy for youth. Right? So so I think um, th- there's there's already uh, efforts being made in that. Uh, it's just that everybody needs to. Be more, uh, to be looking at it more holistically. So I think everybody needs to demonstrate a good financial literacy uh, uh, for their children. You know, you can't have the children learn one thing and then you say, "Oh, my parents doesn't seem to be uh, in a good financial situation, right?" So, so, so this is the part where where I think that it, everybody everyone has to play a part. So you can't just say, you know, let's teach our, our kids uh, uh, financial literacy. I think. Things are moving in the right direction. Things are already being done. But of course, there's more things that, uh, more efforts that needs to be made in this area. Uh, so, yeah. So that's talking about uh, our youth, about younger people. But overall, how can we improve financial literacy among Malaysians in a significant, sustained, sustainable way, especially um, even, especially in the context of our conversation for people who are well past school going age? Yeah, so... Uh, I think everyone needs to start to look at their monthly spending, like I mentioned. So I think this is the very basic first step. I've always advocated for this. Everyone needs to uh, sort of take charge, you know, Uh, do some homework. (laughs) Uh, Look at your monthly spending and see if there are any wastages and leakages. So list down all your spending for the past months. And you also need to see whether you can track your expenses in some way. You know, as, as simple as having a, a buku lima 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 a, a, a <laughs> note and just write down, you know, every time you're spending something, just write down some uh, uh, how much you spend. Because the tracking itself helps you to put more thought into the spending, right? And this exercise alone will help you to eliminate some uh, of the unnecessary expenses, perhaps potentially give you a better cash flow in the future. So, so if, you, if everybody can start doing this first, you know, uh, it, uh, like when, when people say, you know, how to get healthy, oh, you, you just uh, exercise three times a week and um, 
for 20 minutes uh, a time, right? Uh, go go for a walk, 20 minutes, get your get heart rate up, uh, uh, and and you you tend to get more healthy. So, but everybody has to do it. So similar with financial literacy, I think we know it, it can be difficult to say, oh, let's do a, a financial literacy program everybody needs to attend. Let's do it in schools. Let's do it in universities. Try to do something as simple as this first, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, 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 and and see whether honestly, if you if you start doing it, you can already see significant improvement. I tell you, so so uh, just start to track, start to uh, put a bit more thought when you spend, rather than you know, uh, yeah, I'm just gonna spend because that that decision making process is the most important part in in financial uh, how how to say of. Uh, personal finance, right? So, so it will help you to make the big decisions later, like making that uh, should I or should I not take up the loan, right? Because if you if you if you cannot control yourself in terms of should I or should I not buy this or that, right? It, it, it it's very difficult for you to 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 control yourself when you're making the bigger decisions. And that's where the bigger financial mistake will come. Idam, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. That was Idham Idris, Director of Corporate Treasury Investment Services for Wealth Vantage Advisory, talking about um, you know the the shift in mindset that's occurred with the EPF and where the question of financial literacy enters the picture. BFM eighty nine point nine. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.